Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are soon coming to the close of the book of Ephesians. We'll have one more time together in the book, Lord willing, next Sunday. But this morning, verses uh, 10 through 16 is what we're going to look at today. It's going to be <clears throat> the second part of the armor of God. And I entitled the message this morning, Dressed for War. Dressed for War. Are you dressed for the occasion? Are you dressed for the occasion? Paul strongly <clears throat> encouraged believers to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice, in the Lord and in his might. It's a power that overcomes resistance, and the, en the enemy never stops. And we need to keep resisting, but we have that power in the Lord and in his might. The power that God gives us is inherent strength. That's why believers can be strengthened not only by the person of the Lord, but also by his resources. And we're like the people of Israel when they moved into the promised land and claimed their victory. When the older generation died, the new generation forgot about God. And they lost their territory because they didn't stand strong. And it's high time for Christians to grow up. Before we can walk with Jesus... And run the race that's set before us and fight the good fight. First, we have to learn how to stand. Paul tells us, notice in verse 11 of chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, well, the word wiles, it's where we get our English word method. It's methodia in the Greek. It means methods or craftiness. In Ephesians 4.4, Paul pointed out how important it was to grow up and mature as Christians. Christians who don't mature, they're like little children. They're very gullible. They believe anything and everything. They don't have the experience of training to use discernment. And it's sad to say some of God's children have no discernment at all. They'll listen to a TV show or a radio evangelist. They may read a book, and, and they won't know that it's false doctrine. But if we're mature believers, we won't be deceived by Satan's tricks. And Paul tells us again here, the way to stand against Satan's wiles is to put on a whole armor of God. And it's important that we wear all the armor, not just some of it. If we don't use it all, we're not totally protected. And Satan can and will attack you where you're not protected. And Christians are often misled into believing they don't need all the armor. Or they take it lightly, which is pride. I got this. I can handle this myself. Some of the great men and women in the Bible who fell into sin fell when they were strong. Abraham's greatest strength was his faith, and he failed in that area. Moses' greatest strength was his meekness, and yet he lost his temper, remember, and he beat the rock. Peter's strength was courage, and yet he denied the Lord three times. David's strength was his integrity. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, and yet David became a man of deception, lies, and murder. So you see, when you think you got it together, 
in certain areas of your life and you don't need God's protection, you can expect that's exactly where Satan's going to attack you. The place where you feel your strongest at because you're going to let your guard down. And we have to remember we're not fighting with people, but we're fighting with Satan who uses people. Satan is not God's equal because Satan is not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, and he's not omnipotent. Satan doesn't know everything, and he can't be everywhere at the same time, and he's not all-powerful. He has a huge army, and he can operate in many places at the same time. So that's how he can do this thing, his thing. We are fighting against a well-organized demonic, demonic power. Look at verse 12 once again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he wants to rob us of our inheritance in Christ. In order to defend ourselves from his attacks, we have to learn to stand in the power of Christ. We have to learn and we have to put on all the armor of God. Because if we're not totally prepared and totally protected, we're not ready for the battle. And we're going to be destroyed. So why do we need to be strong in the Lord? Because the enemy is strong. And we are living in very evil days. And it's important that we win. It's important that we win. Too many people try to live their, own, live their life in their own strength. And, and, and not in God's. We have to be strong because the outcome means shame or glory to God. Are we going to be victorious? Are we going to be victors? Are we going to be victims? Are we going to be a help or a hindrance to others? We have to be strong because Jesus, you know, Jesus paid with his blood for our victory. But, on, but, but put on the armor that he purchased for you with his own blood. Why? So that you can claim the victory for him and in him. So we're going to look at this armor and we're going to see how to use it to fight our enemy. So let's begin with verse 14 when we look at the first piece of armor. And verse 14 tells us to stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. So the first piece of the Christian's armor is the girdle of truth. Now the girdle was worn by Roman soldiers. The girdle was usually a leather apron that helped protect the lower part of the body. And it was also used as a sheath for the soldier's sword. Now, what does this girdle of truth apply? How does it apply in the believer's life? Well, in the Bible, the girdle was used to pull things together. It was, a, it was like a belt that was tied around the waist. So in Paul's day, men and women and soldiers wore, remember, they, they had these long flowing robes down to their feet. When they wanted to move quickly, they had to gather up their robes. They'd pick up the robes and they'd tuck it under that belt so that it wouldn't get tangled around their feet when they had to move quickly. So, uh, again, uh, in the same way, the Christian has to prepare his mind and heart for battle. He has to get rid of any thoughts or any habits that would hinder his walk in the Lord. This is what Peter meant when he said we are to gird up the loins of our mind. That is, our mind has to be held in constant preparation. 
He said, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The girdle of truth stands for a life and a mind that's, that's pulled together. And it's ready to serve for the glory of God. To gird the, 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 put the girdle of truth on, it, it speaks of integrity. The opposite of being deceitful. Satan hates integrity. But deceit, it will lead to a double life. A divided heart. We can't focus our minds and our hearts on God. And worldly pleasures at the same time. This always leads to unfaithfulness. We can't serve two masters. So if we're going to stand guard against Satan and his army, we have to declare our loyalty to Jesus Christ and we have to keep our integrity. Satan loves deceit because he knows, as it says in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So we have to make up our minds once and for all I am going to stand totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. And a good soldier concentrates only uh, on following the orders of his commander. When we have integrity, this singleness of purpose, then Satan's weapons are useless against us. And our standards of morality are very clear. And there can be no exceptions, no compromise. Doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what they do. We need to stand steadfastly on God's side. Like Joshua in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we put on the girdle of truth. We stand firmly in our integrity that we can enter the battle boldly. And when we do, we know that Satan can't hurt us. The second piece of armor is verse 14. Notice is the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar and that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's always trying to accuse us of something and he's always trying to get us to believe it. That's why he loves to destroy our witness to the world with his finger pointing, with his blaming us for something. And the thing is, we many times let him get into our heads. He wants to remind us of our past mistakes and our past sins and to tell us, oh, how, how could God save you? How, could you, you know, how can you serve God with your past, with the things that you've done? Forgetting that we've been forgiven and those sins are under the blood and they're to be remembered no more. You know, but, God, but Satan accuses us and may, makes us feel that we're not worthy to serve the Lord, which we're not, but God, because of his grace and his blood, we are. He makes us worthy. And if we believe all, everything that Satan accuses us of, guess what? He's going to win. But thank God he's given us the weapon, that God's given us the weapon that we need to shut our accuser's mouth. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a very important piece of armor to the Roman soldier. It was a coat of mail that covered the front and the back. And, and it, was like a, it looked like a net kind of a thing, but it was made out of metal. It covered the front and the back of the soldier's body from the neck to the thighs. And this, this coat of mail, this breastplate of armor, it covered all the upper part of the body and it protected all the vital organs. So the Christian soldier's coat of mail is the righteousness of God received by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's known as imputed righteousness. 
I have his righteousness. He's given me his righteousness. He's covered me with his righteousness. Imputed righteousness means God puts his righteousness on your account. God doesn't erase your old record completely. But the wonderful thing is, he also makes sure that nothing else can be added to it. Nothing else can be written in it by filling it with his righteousness. And once God says you are righteous, you are righteous. And you should know that righteousness by the way you live every day. You should show that righteousness by the way you live every day. Paul talked about how important having this righteousness is in Christ. Listen to what he said in Romans 6, 12 through 14. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you are under grace. Here Paul is talking about how we need to have a real, everyday righteousness in our words, in our walk, in our motives, and in everything that we say and do. That righteousness of Christ should show in our life. But while we need to live righteously because of the righteousness we've received from God, we have to remember that our own righteousness is never good enough by itself. And Satan will point his finger at us. Or, or, or we accuse ourselves. Or others accuse us. Or the circumstances around us accuse us. In other words, if I was only a better Christian, I wouldn't be going through this trial. I wouldn't be having these difficulties in my life. One of Satan's greatest weapons is false accusations. Whether they come from other people, whether we think of them ourselves, or whether our circumstances tell us, you know what, God's angry at you or he doesn't love you, or the devil himself tells you. We need to remember that the devil started those lies. But we have the breastplate of righteousness to defend ourselves against his attacks. So by faith, continually wear the breastplate of righteousness, remembering that you are wearing the righteousness of Jesus and that his righteousness makes, righteousness makes you righteous in the Father's eyes. You are accepted in the beloved. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Go back and count how many times Paul used the word stand. We have to understand how important it is that we stand firm against Satan's attacks. Now, when you're in a fight, you have to be able to stand firm. And we do that by depending on the Lord's strength and his power and by wearing the spiritual armor that he's given us. But in this case, in order to stand firm, he's talking about the feet. We have to have the right protection for our feet. The Roman soldier wore sandals that were tied tightly to his feet with leather strips. And on the bottom of those sandals was something like a large nail, a large-headed nail, giving the soldier a firm footing. So this is the picture, uh, uh, the, this is the, picture the word preparation gives us. It means a firm footing and a strong foundation. 
A soldier knows that if, <clears throat> if he's having trouble with his feet, he can't stand. And if he can't stand, he's not going to be able to fight very well. In the same way, Christians need a firm footing that comes from standing on the gospel of peace in order to keep their balance as they fight the enemy. In our case, the devil. What's the gospel that Paul's referring to here? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the salvation that he offers us in the gospel of peace that we firmly and securely stand on. Satan hates God's message of salvation. Why? Because that's how Jesus defeated him. And that's why Satan is always trying to get people to turn away from it and to preach it. Paul warned us about falling for some other gospel, of which there is no other gospel. When it comes to serving the Lord, we should always be moving and making progress. That's the picture of the walk. But when it comes to the gospel, we need to be immovable. And, we need to, and, and there can't be any compromise. We need to stand firmly. We need to stand on our ground. And we need to never change the gospel. We have to stand on the never-changing gospel because it doesn't need to be improved. Paul said in Galatians 6 through 8, uh, chapter 6, verse, uh, verse uh, Galatians 6, 8, he says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who in his love and mercy calls you to share the eternal life that he gives through Christ. You're already following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who twist and change the truth about Christ. That's why we need to stand firmly. What else does these, do, do, the, do the shoes do for us? They give us stability. There's a lot of Christians that are unstable today. And Paul compares them like to, to children being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's what happens when they're not stable, standing on the truth, standing on solid ground. They're not grounded in God's word. And Paul says they're like children who believe everything they hear. And that causes them to be led astray so easily because they don't know God's word. There's instability. Instability is a serious problem because it can hinder or destroy our Christian life. The Bible warns us over and over again about being unstable. Learn the word of God and stand on it so that you know exactly what you believe and why you believe it. And run everything that you hear through the word of God to find out whether or not it's true. Like the Bereans who searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things that Paul said were true or not. Because if you don't know, if you don't search the, the word, if you don't run everything the, to the word of God, you will be tossed around until you get carried away from some doctrine so totally that you're carried away from God. But a person who's grounded in the word will be stable in their faith. They won't be shaken because they know in whom they believe. They know what they believe. It's firm in their heart. Stability is one of the biggest needs among Christians today. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, notice it's both sure and steadfast. Our anchor is in the Lord. 
He's seen these huge, huge ships out in the ocean. And they cast out that little anchor in comparison to the ship. It's a tiny anchor. But it digs in and it holds that, st that ship steady. And that's what the Word of God does. That's what Jesus Christ and His Word does for us. You know, we, we, we get these huge attacks by the devil and he throws so many of them at us. But when we're anchored deep, our anchor holds us steady. It keeps us from drifting. It keeps us from falling away. The shoes of the gospel give us balance. Satan loves unbalanced Christians because they focus on one area of the Bible and they ignore the other teachings. That's why it's so important that we teach the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Word upon word, precept upon precept. Instead of picking and choosing certain topics or certain books that we like. In order to be balanced, in order to, to, to walk as Christians, we need a good understanding of all the Bible doctrines. You know, the doctrine of justification, of sanctification, salvation, Holy Spirit, all the doctrines. And when our faith is resting firmly <clears throat> on all of those truths of the gospel, we'll have balance. We'll have stability in our Christian lives. And we need balance if we're going to hold on and hold our ground against the devil. And that's why Paul said in Acts 20, 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. You know, it's like, it's like when we eat, you know, we're, there, are, there are the certain things that we need to have to eat to, to have a well-balanced meal, to nourish us properly. But you know, if we only pick sweets and, and, and certain things that we like, we're not going to get the nutrients that we need to nourish the body the, the way it should be. The same thing with the Word. If we pick and choose our favorite topics or certain books, we're not going to receive the whole counsel of God. We're not going to be a balanced believer. The shoes of the gospel give us mobility. And we need stability, balance, and mobility to fight. A soldier needs to be able to move so that he can attack. And he needs to be able to move so he can react to the moves of the enemy. The Roman soldier's sandals were designed for mobility as well as for strength and protection. And they were light enough so that he could move and turn quickly if he had to. He was able to adjust and shift his position quickly. And they were comfortable for his feet so that they didn't get tired and they didn't get sore. The problem with a lot of believers is they're standing still. They're not willing to move from their position. They're not willing to move wherever God needs them to go. But think about it. What are your shoes for? Walking and running. And yet many Christians are not willing to walk, to move from their position. We wear the shoes of the gospel to stand our ground. To have a firm footing. And for mobility so that we can respond in a hurry to the enemy's attacks. One of the things that get in the way most of all of the Lord's work is Christians who are not willing to change. But we have to change sometimes. Sometimes our tactics need to change in how we share the word of God. We need to be able to change when fighting the enemy. People often get 
upset when you change certain things or certain methods. Now, the message never changes. It's always the same. It should never be changed. But the way we share it, you know, has to, has to be in order to meet the people where they are. The devil is always changing his tactics. And if we don't, you know, if we don't stay loose and flexible uh, when we need to, he'll quickly get the advantage. And Pastor Chuck always used to tell us, those who are flexible shall not be broken. Those who are flexible shall not be broken. So the kind of soldier who'll be victorious on the battlefield is the one who's stable, balanced, and mobile and can get around. And they use every chance they get to share the good news. Look at verse 16. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith is the next piece of, of armor. The shield of faith is for, de, uh, is for deflecting things thrown at us. In this case, it's fiery darts. They're to deflect the fiery darts that Satan throws at us. And the devil never runs out of fiery darts. He'll fire several fiery darts. And those fiery darts, will come, are, 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 they come as problems. Here comes a fiery dart of losing my job. Or he throws a fiery dart of an illness to, at me. He fires another uh, a fiery dart that, that's, that's suffering. Or he fires another fiery dart that's disappointment or, or, or broken relationships. So all these fiery darts Satan is throwing at us all the time. And then, when, then we start to lower our shield of faith and he nails us. A fiery dart can be of anger. It can be of fear, doubt, depression, feeling sorry for yourself. And if you don't have a strong defense against these fiery darts, they're going to hit you. They're going to hit that target and you're going to fall in the battle. But the Lord has given us a shield to repel these fiery darts. And the shield that Paul was talking about here wasn't the small round one that you see. You know, where they, they, where they, it's, you know, it's not that small round one that we normally think of. Paul was talking about a shield that a Roman soldier carried. It was pretty big. It was about two foot by four foot. And they could duck behind it. And the soldier could totally cover himself. It was made out of wood. It was covered with cloth and leather. And sometimes the soldier would dip it in water so that those fiery darts would be extinguished when they hit the, the, the shield. And Paul used this image of the shield to represent the believer's faith. Paul wasn't talking about a historical faith. that says, oh yeah, I know about the story of Jesus in the Bible. Yeah, I believe that, that Jesus really died and he rose again. He wasn't talking about saving faith, even though it's very important. Paul was talking about a real everyday faith that says, I won't depend upon myself or base my decisions on my experience or what I know. Instead, I'm trusting God to give me the victory today. And this is the kind of faith that defends, or I should say, defeats Satan and, and his forces. This shield of faith protects the soldier. Satan's fiery darts are fast and they're silent and you don't know that they're coming. You can't see them, you can't hear them coming. But all of a sudden, one of his arrows hits you and we feel a slight bit of pain. And before you know it, a raging fire breaks out, destroying everything in its way. 
the devil fires these darts at us from the outside. And then he waits and he watches. And then when our lives are going well, and we stop depending on God's help, boom, Satan nails us when our shields are down. Satan throws a lot of different darts at us. And that's why we have to be careful not to let these darts pierce our hearts because they'll catch fire and they will do a lot of damage. One of Satan's deadly darts is fear. We all struggle with fear at times. You know, maybe we get some bad news. We get a phone call. You know, the doctor wants to talk to you. Or you get a letter with some bad news. Maybe a pink slip. You're losing your job. And then we become overcome, overwhelmed with fear. And you see, if we let this fear stick around and we let that fear have its way, we entertain that thought or fear, pretty soon it spreads like a wildfire and it starts to destroy our faith and tear us down. And then we become paralyzed by that faith and we can't do anything. When we're afraid, we lose our faith that the Lord can't help us. Remember when the disciples were afraid of the storm, they were out in the boat? They went and they woke Jesus up. And he says, hey guys, why are you afraid? He says, don't you think I can take care of you? You see, fear and, fear and faith can't live in the same heart. You can't say I have faith and have fear, though, you know, we struggle with it. Jesus asked him, why are you afraid? And then he says, where's your faith? What's it going to be, faith or fear? Fear and faith can't live in the same heart. Another kind of dart is doubt. Satan will get you to doubt God. Because of circumstances or something that, that happened you would never expect or something didn't happen you expected to happen. I mean, we see that doubt. It, it, it began with Eve in the, in the very beginning. Did God really say? Everything was history after that. She knew what God said. Don't eat of that tree. Then Satan comes along and said, did he really say that? Now, what should she have done? Hey, I know what God said. I'm not touching that tree. But no, she entertained what Satan said. Hmm. Maybe he really didn't mean that. Maybe I can't eat from the tree. Well, again, we, we, know, what, we know what happened. We ask ourselves, does God really care about what I'm going through? Is his word really true? Does he really love me? Satan always tries to throw darts of doubt about other people. We become skeptical. We become bitter about fellow brothers and sisters and leaders in the body of Christ. We start asking, does that person really like me? Is that leader really qualified to be serving the Lord? Why does he say that? What do they really mean by that? Satan loves to fan the flames of doubt. Before you know it, they grow and they increase until they destroy our faith and our relationships with other people. He loves to cause doubt about ourselves. Am I really saved? Another dart is words. Words of criticism, hatred, and often coming out when we talk. Another dart is confusion. When we're confused in our thinking, our emotions and lives, it's not the Lord because the Lord is not the author of confusion. 
We need to resist what the devil tries to do to us. So the shield of faith stops those fiery darts from hurting us and stopping the fire so the damage doesn't spread. So the faith that Paul was talking about here wasn't in ourself, but in God, who is our shield. And the shield of faith also protects the rest of the armor. In verse 16, Paul says, above all, that means of the greatest importance, he said, take the shield of faith. Because the other pieces of armor won't work properly if we don't have faith. When you put on the girdle of truth, you're putting your faith in God's truth. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it shows you have faith that God is holy, righteous, and just. When you put on the shoes of peace, you're saying that you have faith in the gospel as well as the rest of the army. I'm sorry, the rest of the armor. And it all says you depend on faith, of which God's word says, without faith you cannot please God. And last, the shield of faith. The shield unites soldiers in the army. You know, it's believed that the edges of those, those shields, those two by, uh, two by four foot shields, they could be locked on the edges. They could be locked, kind of like these chairs. I don't know if you've ever noticed them. They've got a hook and they're locked together so you, you can't separate them. Well, they believe in those days those, those shields were, were locked together. So, the, the, so the, the, the Roman soldier would stand like a wall so that the swords and the, the arrows couldn't penetrate that wall as they marched forward. See, this is a great picture of what faith should, do, should mean to you and me because we have this common bond together in our faith our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we should love each other we should walk together we should stand together and we should fight together against our common enemy we should walk together with locked arms but too often we spend too much of our time and energy fighting with one another or competing with one another just think what god could do in this world if every one of us would stand with our shields locked with our neighbors and be one great wall of faith. And too many Christians are trying to fight their own battle their own way. Instead, we need to lock our shields together and not let any division be found among us and then God will get the victory. God will have the victory. We need unity among believers today. If we'd all, if we'd all pray and trust together, man, we could do so much more for the Lord. But we become selfish. We become our own island. We become lone rangers and prideful. We don't want to stand next to our brother. We don't want to work with our brother. We don't even want to greet him in church. The shield of faith protects us from all of these fiery darts. And the rest of the armor unites us with each other. Hey, when you look at this and you consider it and how meaningful it is, what a privilege to be in the Lord's army. Let's close with verses 17 and 18. Or 17 through 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Satan wants to attack the mind. That's where the battle is. Just like when he went to Eve and he said, did God really say? He attacked the mind. 
The helmet of salvation refers to the mind, the mind being controlled by God. The helmet is to protect, again, from the thoughts of the enemy coming. It plays an important role in Christian growth, service, and victory. When God controls and protects the mind, Satan can't get into your head. And he can't, he can't lead the believer astray. The Christian who studies the Word of God and learns the meaning of the Word of God and the doctrine is not going to be easily led astray. Peter said we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 And then verse 17, notice, here's your offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. This sword is the offensive weapon that God gives us. The Roman soldier wore a short sword on his girdle, which was used for, you know, for close, close in fighting, like hand-to-hand combat. A physical sword requires the hand of a soldier. But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, has its own power because it's living and it's powerful, as Hebrews tells us. The Spirit, of the, the Spirit wrote the Word of God. The Spirit uses the Word of God as we take it by faith and we use it. The sword of the Spirit wounds in order to heal and to give life. But when we use the sword of the Spirit against Satan, we are out to deal a, deal a blow to him that will cripple him, and it will keep him from hindering God's work. And by faith, put on the armor and trust God for the victory. Once and for all, we have to put on the armor at the moment of salvation. But you know what? We have to use it every day. Remember when King David took off his armor and he returned to his palace? He was in greater danger than he was if he would have been on the battlefield. Because on the battlefield, he was prepared. But when he went back to the palace, he, he, he wasn't prepared. He took it off. Remember, we are never out of reach of Satan's devices, so we must never be without the whole armor of God. And prayer, it says here, Notice in verse 18 again, praying always, notice, always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. Prayer is the energy that enables the Christian soldier to wear the armor and to use the sword. We can't fight the battle in our own power, no matter how strong or talented that we might think we are. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for this great provision of the army, of the armor. Father, and, and as Paul talks about being a good soldier of Christ, a good soldier is obedient to his commander. A good soldier does what he's told to do. A good soldier is prepared for the battle. He does not go to war without his armor. And we're at war every day. So Lord, let us put on the armor. Let us obey the captain of our salvation. And help us to remember we've already won the war. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We're just going to go out and claim what belongs to us. So Father, we thank you so much for this word. And Father, we pray for the offering we'll receive today, God. May it bring glory and honor to your name.
for your greatness and for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.